DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Rail Salt Lake analyst Brian Dunseth. And he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line, T-Mobile and Sprint, coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dunny, good morning. Uh, good morning, PK. David, nice to, <laughs> nice to hear you again. I'm looking forward to this, PK. He, I feel like he's been keeping us apart for some reason. <laughs> I know. He's a bad dude. You know, all he wants is just to be showered with compliments, and you have any type of any form of criticism, and he goes nuts. That's really why I don't like him. Well, I, I've been happy, uh, PK, because based on our friendship over the years, David James and I, um, I've helped him shed his skin, meaning I've helped him kind of get rid of his all-white New Balances and ushered him into the comfortable Air Jordan 1s with Nikes during the broadcast. So I feel like I've, I've, I've done the public a huge, huge service. We thank you. <laughs> this is why I never wanted you two to meet. I just I rest I rest my case right we now. You just met. I've been there. I've been the, the TV station on Thursday nights before when he was there. So we've already met. Well, that was another problem. <laughs> All right, I just tweeted this out uh, before we get to RSL and the soccer, Dunny. There's something horribly wrong with you. I want to get to the bottom of it, and the people the people need an answer to this. Okay, you, you grew up in Southern California. Yeah. You went to Cal State Fullerton for three semesters, quality education, before Barely. you bailed out to go play professional soccer, make yep. money, and travel the world. You, by all rights, should be a Laker fan, and that should nope. bother a lot of Jazz fans here. And you have gotten, in it because of your career, you watch soccer games from leagues all over the world, and you've kind of had to give up all the other sports. There just isn't time to follow them. And of all the things you've held on to, the only thing you've held on to outside of soccer is your Clipper fandom. Now, that makes yeah. <laughs> no sense to anyone here. They'll resent you for being a Laker fan, but they don't understand why does he like the Clippers he grew up in Southern California in age when they just sucked. I got to be honest with you. I, and I, and I, I, I use this term as maliciously as I possibly can. <laughs> okay. I hate the Lakers. I hate the Lakers. I hate the Dodgers. Uh, I, I hate the L.A. Kings. I hated everything having to do with kind of downtown L.A. You put me in an Angels. You, you put me at the Big A when Wally Joyner was playing on first base. I was a happy man. Uh, you put me with Timu uh, and, and, the, and the Ducks out in Anaheim. I was a happy man. But there was something special about the Clippers. I, I could never get behind the Rams. I could never get behind the Raiders either. But there was something special about the Clippers. And it wasn't just the way they kind of forced themselves out of San Diego. It was more of the knee brace. It was the knee brace of one man that, that solidified my love and the fact that his wife was like the star of the TV show fame back in the day. It was Norm Nixon. It was Norm Nixon hobbling around, finding Larry Cage and uh, Kenny Norman out of college. That, that was all I – they could never disappoint you. It was, it was the best-case scenario. I could root against the Lakers – and still, no one could talk trash to me because if we won 12 games a year, that was a win. So, yeah, that, that's where my Clipper fandom started. Somewhere, I don't know, it was like 86, 87, 88, somewhere in that timeline. So you had Billy Crystal 1, Brian Dunseth 2, as far as Clipper fans. <laughs> well, hey, don't you dare downplay Malcolm in the Middle or the dumb guy from that 70s show because 
they uh, they they at least bought the tickets and, and paid whatever it was, maybe like a thousand dollars for uh, courtside seats for an entire season. That's crazy. I just can't believe you're a Clipper fan, but whatever. It's hardcore. They come to town and you take your kids and you go to the games. You've held on to it all this time. I just find it to be the oddest thing. You know, you know what's annoying, though, is that it wasn't, you know, all the Clippers tickets were so easy to get a hold of until Lop City came together. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to you. I was talking to a bunch of guys in the city. I was like, does anybody have a hookup? Because all of a sudden, the tickets jumped from like a yeah. hundred bucks a game to like two fifty a game for the lower bowl. Um, so yeah, I have to call in significant favors if I ever want to see the Clippers uh, here in Utah. All right. Speaking of odd and bizarre, there's the bubble in Florida. Your Clippers and your hated Lakers are about to endure it. Um, you know, it's different sports, but you learn a lot of lessons from it. I, I guess the first thing is, are you surprised? Given the fact that the MLS had more trouble than the NBA's thing started and two teams had to withdraw, are you surprised that everything since then seems to be going well and it seems to be holding together after those initial, I don't even want to call them hiccups, teams withdrawing is a major problem. Yeah, a major problem. And, and much like you, know, you and I have been talking about the NWSL Challenge Cup out here, Orlando Pride tested, I had a few players test positive before the start of that tournament, but they never got on the airplane. Um, and one of the big, the big pushbacks, when the, when the initial idea was launched by Major League Soccer, it was like a 10- to 12-week thing. It was like a two-month to three-month thing. And a lot of that had to do with front-siding the arrival and making sure you could get inside the bubble. And if anything did go wrong, that there would be enough time to kind of overcome, still have training sessions, and get ready for the tournament. Well, the Players Association pushed back on that. We see a, a shorter timeline. And unfortunately, <clears throat> as we all know, Athletes are a hygiene cesspool. I mean, that, it's just pure and simple. They're, they're a hygiene cesspool in the locker room, uh, in the buses, on the airplanes. And there's also this air of invincibility for all these athletes. And, and it probably comes along with kind of the status and the money. But then you throw in the testing and feeling secure and comfortable. And, and I'm not here to publicly shame anyone. And they probably did everything they thought was right. But, you know, all of this, I, the idea of a going-away party or spending some time with friends, and one size doesn't fit all, you know, guys going out, and this stuff's like glitter now. Um, they get on the bus, they get on the airplane, they get back on the bus, and they get inside the bubble, and all of a sudden everybody's testing positive, and they can't figure out why. So the bubble itself, I think, it, with the zero positive tests yesterday that was announced by Major League Soccer, the bubble's intact, the bubble's working, and the isolation process, even by kicking FC Dallas and Nashville SC out of the tournament, um, so far, so good. It, it, it's working, and that's what we were hoping for once the players were, were inside Orlando. So we have taken a lot of interaction in recent weeks as far as mixing politics and sports. Some mm. people encourage it. Others, it's, it's a wide spectrum of opinion. They love it. They hate it anywhere in between, right? So I'm watching the game Sunday night, and I see the folks on the sidelines have the Black Lives Matter T-shirts, and I'm thinking, all right, for those who hate it, that ought to be okay because at no point did it really get in the way of the actual competition, the game itself. And as you're watching the game, you know, you're into the game. And so then when they show the guys on the side, you see that. And that the NBA, you know, that's going to be uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks, baseball starting next week and so forth. What do you think about the way that the soccer has mix the politics with the game because as I'm watching that game Sunday I didn't see where it was getting in the way at all 
I don't think it has. I, I think for the most part, um, the biggest pushback kind of politically, and we know it's, uh, it's, it's a huge teeter-totter right now, wherever you fall on the spectrum, um, the, the MLS had kind of this, this coalition inside of the players union, but specifically creating black players for change. Um, and, and this was, I think it was 125 players before the very first game, Orlando City and Inter Miami. It was a powerful visual. Um, every black player from an MLS team had their mask on, had the shirt on, and was this, this visual representation of eight minutes and 46 seconds, the, uh, the remembrance of George Floyd's death. And I understand, man, they took a ton of heat. But the complete silence, I think, was kind of this wave of emotion. And I think it was an important step for not just the Black Players for Change movement within the MLS Players Association, but also, you know, just a, a, a moment in time um, that you could see it was, a, it was a coming together as one. And so that was a very, very powerful visual for me. Um, now, wherever you fall in line, that, that's up to you. Uh, but this evolution of what we're seeing, I think I, I personally don't have a problem I know a lot of people are out there talking and talking and talking. For me, it's a chance to listen and listen and have more conversations, especially for a kid growing up in Southern California. Um, and I think the idea was inevitably that there was kind of no difference between anyone. There's no discrimination for color or nationality. So I think that was a, a really important moment. Um, but I can definitely on the other side see that there's a line in the sand where you're either going to support this or you're going to be adamantly against it. You know, when you talk about systemic violence and lack of opportunities systemically, that can mean a lot of things. Mm. PK grew up uh, in poverty. He's told us stories about his dad, custodial janitorial work, working as a garbage man for a while. So the one thing that irritates PK is when someone with a silver spoon just strolls into an awesome opportunity with, from his perspective, barely breaking a sweat. I think to a lot of us that annoys us, but it especially resonates with PK with an intensity that, you know, uh, more so than the rest of us. So when Freddie Juarez gets hired as a coach, the one of the first things I told him when he got the job uh, after Pecky was let go, I told him, you're going to love Freddie's backstory because... Yeah. If you don't play at the highest level, you don't make it a major league soccer, you play at the second division, play in USL, you're, you're coming from Las Cruces, New Mexico. What has Freddie got? Obviously, timing and some good fortune, right? But you got to have more than just that to make it from El Paso to the sideline in major league soccer. Who's Freddie and why is it seeming to work? So It's early on, but why is it working so well with him? Because he's worked his way from the ground up. Um, and even when he was playing, and we, in 2005, we actually played against Freddie Juarez with Real Salt Lake. We went out to Minnesota and played a U.S. Open Cup game, and I won't remind anybody that we lost that game, um, but we lost that game, and Freddie was on the winning side. You know, you fast forward years later, um, Freddie's down at Casa Grande in Arizona when the RSL Academy is starting up. I mean, no, nobody, nobody knew up here in Salt Lake City, who Freddie Juarez really was outside of being one of the assistant coaches down there. But all of a sudden, he starts forging these relationships on the field, these bonds with kids like Justin Glad, with Aaron Herrera, who he knew growing up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Bofa Sacero, Brooks Lennon, you know, all, all of the young guys coming through the system. And then to <clears throat> graduate, to get the opportunity to be the first head coach in Real Monarchs history, <clears throat> I think was a huge a huge step forward in his career. And I think the organization and the guys behind the scenes thought so highly of him that 
they t- actually took the team away from him and promoted him to the first team to be kind of the main assistant. And that was at a time where Jason Christ had left and Jeff Kassar had come in and then kind of transitioning into being Mike Pecky's first assistant. And I can remember Mike telling me time and time again how much of a um, how, how much of an opportunity he was giving Freddie because Freddie had earned it. You know, being on the ground, uh, you know, having conversations, English, Spanish, it didn't matter. He had these relationships he could get the best out of, but it was also the tactics and his tactical acumen. So it only made sense for Freddie to get the opportunity. And, and, and DJ, you and I, we had had this conversation both privately and publicly time and time again, and there's a couple layers to it. First off, I think there's something to be said about giving – a guy an opportunity from the inside, a guy who earned that opportunity. Now, whether you want to say it's a lack of spending or it's he's the right guy for the job, those are two different conversations. And then on top of that, is he the right guy for the job or is he the best guy for the job? Because I don't think Freddie War is, is, is the best guy to be the head coach because you can go out on this international market and you can find whatever big-name coach you want to get. Kind of the flirtation with, J- with Jason Christ was there just a couple months ago. Um, but Freddie's the right guy. And you can see it in the way that he interacts with the players. You can see with the ways that the players react to him. And ultimately, guys, you're seeing it with the results that he's getting on the field. Because I, I think I can make the argument at this point, he's taken what Mike Pecky's built, but now he's further with more of an offensive flair to a team that I think, quite frankly, has been missing since the, since the days of Jason Christ. So Freddie and I are brothers then, Dunny, because you mentioned Casa Grande, and that was my first. I entered this business in media through newspapers and worked at newspapers for 23 years, and my first job in newspapers was the Casa Grande Dispatch. How about that? Oh, wow. There you go. What a tie-in. <laughs> My wife's first teacher, she's a teacher, she teaches at Corner Canyon now, her first teaching job full-time was in Casa Grande, Arizona. So Freddie J and PK, we're like, we're blood brothers practically. (laughs) There you go. See, I love hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah, speaking of starting at the bottom, that's exactly what the Casa Grande dispatch was. Brian Dutz has joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, uh, Dunny, there were, uh, coinciding with my return to the broadcast, unfortunately, there were three pretty rough years there that separated after seven straight playoff appearances. Now, the last two years, ourselves not only got in, they've won and advanced. There have only been, uh, what, four teams in the league that have been in the round of eight the last two years. Ourselves, one of them. Atlanta and Seattle draw massive crowds to NFL stadiums. Uh, New York City FC's got huge money behind them with the Yankees and, and, and Manchester City owning them. And then there's RSL. Which of these teams belongs with the others? Which of these teams just doesn't belong? Fans want to get their hopes up, but they love that PK talks about this all the time. you got to cushion yourself against the losses. Prepare yourself uh-huh. for that. Should they be cushioning themselves? Should they be embracing? If they're like me, they turned on that game Sunday night. I was surprised how good RSL looked right out of the gate. I know they told us the guys were fit, so the training sessions were high level when they came back, but they kind of have to say that. But the way they started, I thought, well, Freddie was just telling us the truth. I realize another coach may have said it, and it may have been a total lie, but, man, they really hit the ground and looked great in those first 30 minutes. Should fans get their hopes up, or did that game maybe say more about Colorado than it says about RSL? So I think it's a bigger conversation about the strength of the league, and specifically the Western Conference, as you kind of rightfully pointed out. 
Um, I would argue, and I, and I say this every year, and, and I don't know how many times you and I have to deal with it on social media after losses, but this is by far the deepest team the club has ever built. And I know I said that last year, but even with the loss of Nick Ramondo and still kind of question marks about Zach McMath or David Ochoa for the long-term position between the posts and goal, you know, I look at Douglas Martinez, I look at Michael Chang, I look at Giuseppe Rossi, I look at Justin Merrim, I look at those type of players, and I think to myself, you have more of an offensive threat, way more of an offensive threat than you did last year. And I say that respectfully with the departure of Joao Plata and Bofo Sacero and Brooks Lennon, but I just think there's better players on the team and there's more accountability. And, and I'll say there's also a vacuum of leadership that opens up the moment that Nick Ramondo walks out the door. And so th- this is a huge opportunity for Real Salt Lake. Now, with the way that Major League Soccer is built, you know, the parity is the conversation. And, you know, the, the big changes in the offseason was that Sporting Kansas City was going to get better. Uh, Colorado Rapids were going to get better. Uh, L.A. Galaxy, I think they got worse, but they were supposed to get better. And then even a Seattle Sounders team who nobody, nobody had winning MLS Cup last year, all of a sudden they had a couple pieces. Um, so I think you all, for me, it's the eyeball test, DJ. I mean, how many times have we talked about just the eyeball test? It's the competitive nature from the moment the whistle blows. It's that first tough tackle. It's the amount of possession where they're forcing the other team to chase. And then ultimately it's chances generated. And I think this team has all of that. Um, and more importantly, God, DJ, we called that first game in Atlanta. And it was almost like, wait, who's that? Who's that on the field? Why is that guy getting that opportunity? Because of so many players being injured, because Kyle Beckman wasn't there, and Rossi wasn't fit, Merrim wasn't fit, Douglas wasn't fit, and Sam Johnson wasn't fit. Now they all are outside of Ochoa. So, yeah, I, I, I would say healthy optimism at optimism at a bare minimum a playoff spot. Um, best case scenario, you're hosting a playoff game in the same manner you did last year. Okay, I think, and correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, because I'm a soccer novice, but I think what you just were saying is the style that RSL is playing. And I noticed after the game the other night, which you guys have already referenced, how they controlled it basically from start to finish. Rusnik had a quote. He said, we have a specific style that we want to play. We have an identity. And I think today we showed what that was. Was that what you were saying here in this when you were just answered DJ's question as far as following up on what Rusnak was talking about, that specific style? Yeah, 100%. PK, I mean, that, that's, that's been the thing. I think if you go back to the, the successful days, kind of the, the 2009s through 2012s, where Real Salt Lake find themselves not only lifting an MLS Cup trophy, but in the finals of a U.S. Open Cup, in the finals of a CONCACAF Champions League for the best team in the entire region, from Panama all the way up to Canada, that there was an identity. And it didn't matter if they were at home or on the road. Kyle Beckerman, Will Johnson, Ned Grabovoy, Javier Morales, Alvaro Saborio, Hamasin Olave those type of kind of giants on the field, you knew that it didn't matter who they faced. There was kind of this unbridled expectation that they were going to that they were going to just take whatever opponent that they were facing apart on the day. And it didn't matter if they were at home or on the road. And that's been and DJ and I've had this conversation on on, on camera a, a ton of times. My my biggest criticism for the team itself has been the inability to play with a real number nine, like a real striker, a real Alvaro Sabarillo type of striker. And all respect to my buddy Yuram Avsisian, but when he came back from Russia to return to the club, 
he wasn't playing the same. He was playing more into the channels as opposed to getting kind of beat up between the two center backs. When you look at Douglas Martinez and Sam Johnson uh, and Giuseppe Rossi to an extent, you have guys that actually can play that position. And it's up to everybody else to figure out how to defend um, and give that striker a little bit more freedom to be by himself and be a goal scorer and be a poacher. Because I think if you put Douglas Martinez or, or Sam Johnson, who are outright goal scorers, in, say, an Atlanta United team or, or an LAFC team, those type of guys can get you 20 goals a year. So that's why I thought the the, the starting lineup from Freddy Juarez surprised me because for the last four or five years, this has been a team that has kind of played with a false nine. And, PK, that means that you're not really playing with a forward. You're playing with kind of guys that can interchange in that position. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a it's a strength by numbers as opposed to one guy's going to play the role. And I think at times it's benefited them, and at other times it's hurt them. Um, because I, I never want to see RSL just be a transition team. Defend, 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 and then utilize their athleticism to try to break out and score goals. So by Freddie playing with Douglas Martinez up front, a real kind of striker, a real number nine, a real goal scorer, that to me um, instills a lot of confidence for the future and doubles down exactly what you were talking about. Albert Rusnak's style of play, identity from the opening whistle, and I, I think he's, he's, he's bang on. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up here, Donny. Kind of uh, where we started and where uh, you touched on in the middle. As you mentioned, that uh, man, athletes can be just a cesspool of germs, right? <laughs> Guys who think snot rockets are normal right uh-huh. away that should tell you there's a problem. Okay, mm-hmm. and we talked about the bubble and what MLS means for the NBA, but there are clearly plans being built for an MLS season, something that looks more traditional after this tournament is over you know, somewhere in August, right? So they haven't announced it, so they can still alter it, but it looks like that's where they're going. Baseball is, uh, you know, basically got a week now until baseball will be playing in home stadiums. Soccer's going to try to do it. The NFL looks like they're trying to do it. What is the biggest hurdle? Because we all want the games. We want them safe, but we want the games to happen. What is the biggest hurdle we should be holding our breath, knowing full well that athletes are are these uh, germ cesspools? Did did you say August fifteenth? By the way, or did you? I did, you I did not because I was oh. told not to, but I knew you would, and I told someone. Yeah, well, that's not oh, a secret because Dunny's already oh. blurted it out, and then there was oh. a profanity in your name. You We're can, not supposed to say August fifteenth. Oh, you can you know guess that. which profanity it was. I'm like, that's uh, officially yeah. not a secret as of about no. a week ago. Yeah, no, I, I sorry, I should not have said August fifteenth or. Keep an eye on August 15th, because that would be ridiculous of me to do so. Um, yeah, nothing confirmed on August 15th. Uh, <laughs> what I would say, the biggest challenge is, again, athletes making good decisions. And, and, I, and, and God, I hate to put this on, on athletes, because we've seen it. And, and for me, the primary focus was watching the return of play of the Bundesliga. Obviously, government backing looks different than it is here uh, in the Premier League. The difficulties of what was happening at England when they were talking about the return to play uh, in June, there were some significant difficulties. And even the testing process, you'd have guys back in training, and all of a sudden, you know, they go fill their, their, ga- their, their car up with petrol, or they go shopping, and next thing you know, they would test positive. The athletes themselves have to do everything in their power 
to just recognize the situation, that it's not an individual situation, that this is a collective group situation. And you would hope that guys would be smart. But we also know guys are, guys are you know, they think they're superheroes. They're going to be out chasing tail. They're going to go have fun with partying and do all those things. So there's always going to be that significant risk. I just hope the players recognize, and this is me being an old man, ex-pro guy, I just hope they realize the opportunity that they have. And I think maybe one of the good things in all of this, if there's like a, a, a lining, not even silver lining, is that guys recognize their love for the game. That guys kind of become reinvigorated for their love in the game. Because, you know, everyone's bitching and moaning on social media. And, you know, Rajon Rondo complaining about his hotel room that looks like a $1,000 a night hotel room, which is incredible uh, that any of us look at. It's complaining about food. It's complaining about all these things. They're just playing the game. Be thankful. Um, stop having to moan about everything and just get back to business. And it's not not easy for anybody right now. Uh, and, and all these people are making Monopoly money while, you know, the rest of us out here are trying to make sure our, our paycheck stretches uh, enough that we can take care of our families. So the biggest issue is, I think, decision-making off the field. I think the testing and the protocols, guys, will handle itself inevitably. He's Brian Dunseth, analyst on RSL, giving us all uh, some hope for sports down the road. NFL, MLB, MLS, everything. Dunny, appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, and uh, good luck to your Clippers. PK, great talking to you, my man. Yeah. DJ, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for having me on.